I was so blessed by our group today and our discussion and how it ended. And, you know, every time we're in the Word, doesn't the Lord just infuse hope and joy and perspective and peace? It's what He does with the Word. So, blessings to you for taking this time and putting it aside to not only be in the Word and study, but then to come today and to just to hear. <laughs> I've been so blessed, even as I've had an opportunity to do these preparations this time. It's humbling to be in front of you because I'm, I'm with you. I'm a fellow sojourner, <laughs> and we're just walking this path together. But as I was Driving here, I just said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the privilege. I love to be in the Word, and it's so good for me to, um, to be responsible to you because it makes me dig in even deeper. You know, we have been, we're coming to the end of Genesis, and we have been following this amazing family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, you know, it's so interesting to look at that because it's been a little bit of a ride, especially as we're following Jacob and his family lately, plagued by favoritism, fractured by distrust and actual mutual loathing, <laughs> separated for many years, and then thrilling to see the reunion and the reconciliation that came just as we studied recently. Now, we're actually going to see how God is pre preparing to create a nation out of this family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as a promised, if you remember. <laughs> and the main character in all of this story, it's not Abraham, it's not Isaac, it's not Jacob, it's God. He is the protagonist. He is the master engineer and architect, planning for, protecting, providing, and fulfilling his purposes for this family of sojourners. <laughs> How did you define sojourner? Jacob described himself and his uh, ancestors as sojourners. He said, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. Simply put, a sojourner is one who temporarily resides in a place. It's a person who's not at home. Today, we have millions of sojourners living in refugee camps around the world. As a matter of fact, uh, the mission that my husband and I work with, we have a ministry to refugees all around the world, and it's called the Sojourner Ministry, because that's what they are. Abraham and Isaac knew that one day the land of Canaan would be theirs to dwell in, but all three of these patriarchs had no permanent abode there yet. In Hebrews 8, 11, 8 through 10, it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. 
So not only just a Jerusalem in Canaan, but actually a Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem that's described in Revelation 21. So today, I want to camp, no pun intended, (laughs) on that idea of sojourning. It's really an important time for us to talk about this, this truth about our true home and our true citizenship. In this year of politics and pandemics and social disturbances all around us, we need to remember that we are sojourners. We don't belong here. (laughs) We're here temporarily. And you know, we know this. We know that the kingdom we serve The government that's upon his shoulders. Whose shoulders? Jesus. The government that we serve is not of this world. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 14, the author says about us that like Abraham, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So it takes us right back to the same Abrahamic promise. Remember Paul's words in Philippians 3.20? We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Or Ephesians 2.19, it says, you are fellow citizens. We're all fellow citizens, but not of this country, (laughs) but of God's family. You are fellow citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And then one of my favorites is in 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So if we're ambassadors, just that picture, that metaphor alone tells you that we represent a different kingdom here. Just like an ambassador comes from a different nation and represents his nation there, that's what we are here for. We're here to represent God, his nation, and He's making his appeal through us to join into the kingdom of light. So we know this. We know it up here. And I know it sometimes day to day. (laughs) But it's so easy to lose focus, isn't it? You just have to watch the news for a little bit, and suddenly you just find yourself embroiled again in all of the politics and the fear and the uh, philosophies, the complexities, it's all crashing down on us and we we start to lose focus and we forget who we are. (laughs) So today, I want us to do some refocusing. So get your glasses properly moved on your face (laughs) and it's time and you've already been doing it by virtue of opening the word today and looking in because it's, it's always the callback. Let's refocus. You know, when Jacob entered, and we'll see some of these numbers uh, later, when he entered with his family into Egypt, there were 70 of them. When they left, there was, some figures say, 2.4 million of them. (laughs) It was a place that God definitely ordained and planned for them to take them there, that he would actually protect them there 
And even by virtue of keeping them separate, he protected them from Egyptian idolatry. He, he protected them and he provided for them. They grew and they multiplied. They flourished there. Has the Lord on your journey ever taken you someplace where you really did not expect to go? I mean, Egypt was not exactly probably on any of the... <laughs> of the patriarch's mind as to a place to flourish. Several times, I think in Abraham's life, if you remember, God said, don't go to Egypt. Other times he said, go. But this time it was definitely ordained, planned, all the way we saw it happening with Joseph, and it, there they were. And there God was going to use them. You know, in our particular ministry that we have, John and I have, we get to travel around the world to see our missionaries and to encourage them. So we have been in some really unusual places, and I can't tell you the times <laughs> that John and I have looked at each other and thought, who knew? <laughs> who knew we'd be here? I can't believe it. I think we're at the end of the world right now. I remember standing in a little village on a mountaintop in India, looking across a valley at Bhutan, and it was kind of shrouded. The mountains were shrouded in clouds, and it's a closed country. And we just kind of looked at each other and said, God is here at the end of the earth. <laughs> and it's been that kind of time where we kind of almost pinch each other and say, who knew? Who knew God would take us here? This is not what we had in mind at all. As a matter of fact, my son got me something, the coolest birthday gift. I'll have to give you the information if you're interested for family members. For my birthday, he, it's called um, Storyworth. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but what it is, um, is he picks out a bunch of questions they provide, and he picks out the ones he wants, and every Monday, I get a question about my life, about my background, about my thoughts on something, and I fill it out, and I can add pictures in that, and I send it in, and at the end of the year, they're going to put a book together. And it's the coolest thing because the questions are really interesting and sometimes they're hard because we just don't ask ourselves that. This was one I had last week. It said, how has your life turned out differently than you imagined it would? Well, that's a good question, but it's, it's not the kind of thing you can just sit down and go, oh yeah, <laughs> you have to really think about it. Actually, this week I have a hard one too. It was named three quotes that mean a lot to you and why? I haven't answered that yet. <laughs> because it's like, oh, I don't know. But I started looking back on all of my dreams and expectations, starting with when I was just a kid, elementary school, and then as a teenager, and then as a young adult, and then as a grown-up adult. And it was so interesting just to see that what I had dreamed of and expected were were kind of silly and paltry almost compared to what God really had in mind. And you know, interestingly enough, John and I, for our wedding, we chose the verse Ephesians 3.20 as our theme, kind of theme for our life. We had no idea. <laughs> it's now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work in us. And my goodness, someday I'll have to share with you some of my my dreams that I had and how the Lord reshaped them. First, and obviously the most important, is when I came to know Jesus at 18. That just flipped everything. <laughs> but you know what? I'm so glad 
he's had the last say, and he'll still continue to have the last say in my life because this has been an amazing journey for me. Even when where the Lord is taking you right now looks maybe scary or improbable or doubtful, keep following him because he knows what he is doing. If anything, as we've watched the lives lived out the journeys that have been lived out by the patriarchs. We've seen that God knows what he's doing. He is purposeful, and he will have his way. You know, we know these guys weren't perfect, right? They made some big, big errors along the way, but God is bigger than that. And he said, I will have my purposes done. They can't be thwarted. So I'd like you to be a part of it. And he does invite us. He doesn't force his way onto us, but he invites us to join him in those purposes and in our journeys. So I encourage you, as you look at what's ahead of you and you're wondering, ah, I never would have thought this was for me. Remember how faithful he has been to not only you, but to others around you. He will. He loves you. He will work out his purposes for good. His good. Sometimes we have a way of thinking that uh, good is always going to be good for us. <laughs> and it will be good for us, but you've got to remember it, the definition is his good. It's the good that will be worked out. And sometimes that looks different than what we would expect. But I encourage you, keep pressing on in your journey. And if you have small children, then you know, know that even where he's taken you in your journey, he's taking your children too. He's taking your family along with you because he's got a plan for them too. And he's committed to their journey. More committed than you are, <laughs> he's committed. I want you to think about another thing about the Goshen experience and just see if you begin to kind of pick up what I was thinking too as I was going through this. Remember how the scripture says they were so blessed there? The Lord did provide for them through Pharaoh, who was kind because of Joseph. The famine had extended to Canaan as well as Egypt. It says that even when the, the Egyptians came to him, it said that people were languishing in Canaan and in Egypt. That he had taken them out, and you know, it appeared, so we don't know for sure, but there's a couple of scripture or verses, verse 27 in particular, that says that the Israelites were still buying land and purchasing things, if you look at verse 27. So it would appear that they actually were not being affected. They did not have to sell themselves or their land or everything to Pharaoh because they were still buying land, purchasing things. So it appears that God had really set them aside, put them into a place. They were safe, they were free, they had plenty, and they lived under a sympathetic government. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, they were getting a bit comfortable? That they were maybe forgetting where they came from or the promises that it would have been very easy to get comfortable there. It was safe. You know, we don't know how long it was exactly. Maybe you guys do. I looked it up, I couldn't find it. How long it was before a new pharaoh stepped in. Did you find out, Lorraine? No. But it was 
not that long after that pretty soon all that comfort was ending. The government was no longer sympathetic to them. If anything, it was hostile. And the persecution began. Do you think that the Lord was using that persecution? Perhaps they were getting a bit too comfortable. Do you remember the story, of the, the account in Acts, where the church began in Jerusalem, and thousands came to know the Lord, and there were miracles, and there was such great fellowship, and the church was just blossoming? And then, chapter 8. <laughs> it says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Terrible. But good. Because you see, the gospel was suddenly now getting spread around the world with people that were afraid and had to run. Do you see how God might have allowed for the persecution of Israel to again move them on? Have you ever been in a place where you sensed that God was saying, come on, and he has to actually give a little push because you just don't want to move? You know, there's a lot of things that we can look at, but I want to remind you that it was God's will to take them to Goshen. And in that perfect will, they had wonderful provision and blessing, right? Was it still God's will for them to be there when things turned sour? Yes, they were still in the place where God wanted them. God was eventually going to move them out, and he had to use very harsh measures to move them out. There's a book that I think it was written by... Um, well, it wasn't written by C.S. Lewis, but it was written by a friend of Lewis. It's called A Severe Mercy. And sometimes God uses severe mercies in our life. My son-in-law almost died um, because of a, a diabetic attack, but also pancreatic attack, what it really was, because of drinking. Well, because of that, he didn't die. He came out of it a diabetic, but he came out of it alive. And he came to know the Lord through that. That was what you would call a severe mercy. <laughs> it almost took him out. But it was in the mercy of God that brought him to that place. Now, I don't pretend to know all the, what the Lord is doing in all of his purposes in this pandemic and with the politics and the social upheaval here. But I do know within, without any doubt that he's in control, that he's going to use this, perhaps in some lives as a severe mercy, but he's going to use this. He is using this time. In people being more afraid than ever are coming to know him. He is, you know, from the beginning, I was always saying, Lord, take it away, take it away. Just, you know, you can just end this in a minute. And the longer he doesn't, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, show me your purposes. <laughs> what is this all about? What are you wanting to do? Open my eyes to see you in the middle of this. Because you're in control. He can just end it like that. And if not, then we have to stop and say, okay, Lord, show me. I just thought it was kind of interesting when I think about even government changing and policies changing. And we've lived for 200 years under a sympathetic government as Christians. 
That might be changing now. So is it still God's will? Is he still in control? Yes. So now we say, okay, Lord, how do I respond to all of this in the way that you want me to respond? Where are you, where are you leading us with this? What are you doing? Is it a time for us? Maybe we got a wee bit too comfortable. I know I did. We do. It's just the nature of man to kind of settle in and say, well, things are going to keep on going the way they are. And we get comfortable. And now things are getting less comfortable. (laughs) And so we can scream and fight. And and I really am saying that I don't think that, I'm not saying that we need to, to just sit back and let it all happen and not speak up for the truth and still not vote and still not do all of those things. We need to do that. But at the same time, if we become fearful and angry and there's a mean-spiritedness about ourselves and we're talking with cruelty and anger, we're no longer ambassadors for the real kingdom. We've got to remember who we are and where we're from. And yes, as things start to get kind of confusing and chaotic here, we run back to Jesus and say, show me where you are here. Help me to remember who I am. I am you. I am yours. I don't put my security in man's government. That's, I think, where some of us, because we've always had it, there's an element of where we have actually kind of put our security in the right government. Right being, of course, in a government that might be aligned biblically. The problem is, is, as you well know, most of the world, most of our Christian brothers and sisters do not live under governments that are aligned biblically. And yet they are thriving. Why is it? Because their security is not there. Their security is in the God of the kingdom of light. And they keep going back to him. And it's hard. It's not easy. And it's kind of a first time for us. We can learn now from our brothers and sisters around the world, right? And we can call, ask them, say, how are you doing this? I'm actually having an opportunity next week on Thursday morning to take this very study and teach it to a group of Pakistani youth. I'm so excited. I had a chance about a month or so ago or two months ago to do the same thing. And we go on Zoom. (laughs) They have me on this huge screen. So it's kind of like icky. And it's at 7 in the morning, so it's like, okay, get my coffee. But it's really neat. But these guys, they are totally persecuted. They are a small band of believers in the midst of hostile Hindu people around them. And they, it's so cool just to be with them and to watch their faces. And they just want to drink in the word. And they love to have now a sense of community outside of their world, to know that, there are other Christians out there, and we are doing it. So I'm gonna, it's going to be fun to take this whole idea, too, to them, too. They're going to have no qualms with, with understanding that their government isn't their security. <laughs> we're still we're wrestling with that. So I think I'm actually going to ask them what they can give to us, what advice they can give to us. And then I'll pass it on back to you guys. <laughs> Maybe I'll send it back in an email or something, and Larie can tell you. Because we can learn from them. You know... That's, I think, one of the the calls as we refocus today is to say, remember, watch in your own life um, what's coming out of your mouth, what's coming out of your thoughts. And constantly, I have to do it daily. I have to constantly come back and say, Lord, I'm your child. 
I'm a citizen of the kingdom of light. Let me walk and talk as a citizen of the light. And that means we have hope. We know that nothing can separate us from his love. You have a message. Do you remember the song, I know you do, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? I was singing that song on the way here. And I, oh, I, the, the second verse came so perfectly. Now I don't know if it will because I'm standing in front of you. Um, but essentially, he was saying, oh, rats, I wish I had it in front of me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. His word will not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. And then you can sing with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm not a photographer, but you know how you can have a lot of activity that's going on behind you in a, when you're trying to get a picture? You have the ability with your camera, I understand. I haven't figured it out quite yet. To actually focus in on the one person and everything else kind of will blur around you, around it so that you can see the person. Do you know what that's called? I forget what it's called. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. He says, turn, look right in my face, and all that other fracas behind you, all that other stuff that's just teeming and screaming for your attention, it'll fade. It'll fade in light of him. This is something I was thinking about, too. You know, even when they went into the hard time in the midst of that will of God, the Lord never forgot them and his plans and his purposes. I thought of Philippians 4, 11 through 13. You remember when Paul was talking and he said, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. And he says, I know how to live in almost nothing and with everything. In other words, there's good times and there's bad times. And I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. The secret for whatever you're going to go through, the good and the bad, is to keep coming back and saying, Lord, whatever it is before me, I can do this if you strengthen me. Has your journey as pilgrims on this old earth led you into pastures or a desert or both? Probably, I would just love it if we could ever sit down and hear each other's journeys. And some of them, I know that Debbie this morning, where are you, Debbie? I know I saw you earlier. She, there you are. She said her journey has been amazing. It's so wonderful. In a way, I'd encourage you to, to take that question that I had from Storyworth and say, how has your life turned out differently than you thought? And just look at how, what God has done for you. The key to pressing ahead is knowing that God and his promises 
are good. His promises are as good as his character. Listen to what the author says in Hebrews 6. He said, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both, both his promise and his oath. He's talking there about the Abrahamic covenant. These two things, his promise and his oath, are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, now the author takes it from that promise and oath to us today, we who have fled to him for refuge, we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Get that? Two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, and he doesn't lie. So we have this amazing encouragement to hold fast to the hope of God's promises. So, fellow sojourners, let's press on together. Colossians 3.1, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. It's that constantly look up. When I start to feel overwhelmed, and it does, I'm just like you too, there are times where I'll just read, it only can sometimes be one article, and it can send me off. <laughs> I'm reading. I stopped actually watching the news about three months ago the actual mainline news, and so I just keep, keep up. But you can't avoid, still, the fear-mongering that's going on. And so I, I just find myself immediately gripped. And that's when I say, the Lord is saying to me, Georgie, look at me. Look at me. And it's almost as though, you know, I think I might have told you my grandson has that habit of when he's trying to tell, talk to you, he takes my... <laughs> look at me. <laughs> and I really feel. Sometimes it's a severe mercy that is causing you to look at him. But it's always because of a God who loves you and who wants to correct all that and, take, and deal with the fear. You know fear is not of God. We know that. So he's constantly calling us back to say, look at me. And he wants to bring the calm, the peace, the contentment, and the reminder. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it's just so good to even speak out the words again with each other, to reinforce what is true. Thank you that, Lord, you are with us in the middle of this. You know exactly what's coming around the corner, and you're not afraid. You are in control, and thank you that you are the anchor to our souls. Your promises are an anchor to our souls. And when the boat is tipsy-turvy and the waves are raging, you're the one that says, peace, be still. Thank you, Father. We look to you. You are our refuge. You are our shield. You're our guide. You're our Savior. We bless your name today. In Jesus' name, amen.